Good evening, we're learning the Perushim of Rabbeinu Bachya and Parshas Mishpatim. In the beginning of Parshas Mishpatim, Rabbeinu Bachya has a discussion, not in the Hakdomah to Parshas Mishpatim, but rather in his opening comments on Parshas Mishpatim and Pasuk Aleph. He has a discussion about the significance of the requirement of Mishpat and the requirement of Asher Tosim Lifneim, which Chazal learn the kusim, that a person has to bring their court cases or judgments before a Jewish court, not a bar shalakum, not in the courts of, of, of others. And uh, he brings, brings uh, Rabbeinu Bachia, that Avera Achashi Chaymer Lekama Averes. It's one Avera, it's one action, but at the same time, it is something from which many other Averes are formed. Because from it many great sins come, and in its corners, at its edges, as a result, you will find all kinds of harm to no end. And let me give you an example. So he says, let's let, let's take a look. He says, Ritzicha is a very big Avera, and it's not just the Avera of killing the person himself, but we view it as destruction of an Eilam Mali, of a whole world, because of all the people who could come from that person. Adam Arishain was the source of all of mankind, and you know, we have such a notion of Domei Vedam Zareis, of his blood and the blood of all of, of his descendants. So he says, Ritzich is a terrible Avera. But nevertheless, Gezela and Chilul Hashem, stealing and desecration of Hashem's name, are greater Averis. Why? Because a Reitzeach could have tshuva, like we find with Cain. V'loichen ha-gezel. E'na tshuva ma'ila le'ad she'yachzer ha-gezel. V'ena machzir e'nenim chalei lo'elam. He says, with theft, um, you have to return it. If you don't return it, there is no mechila. It's a remarkable thing that Rabbeinu Bach is saying. It's hard to understand it. You can't return the life which was killed either. Um, but we find a level of tshuva there. It's a good point. We find a level of tshuva with Cain. Uh, however, by Gezel, we say that you can't obtain mechila from HaKadosh Baruch Hu without returning the theft. And chilu Hashem is also something which isn't subject to tshuva alone. Chazal say tshuva is not mechaper on chilu Hashem. And Reis Rabbeinu Bachia, when it comes to the going to the court, there's two Averis. There's chilu Hashem and there's Gezel. And Chil Hashem there is because what the person is doing is they're giving credence to a system of law that's not the law of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's not the law of the Torah. The greatest respect one can show to anything is to say, I accept your judgment, I accept your decision, I accept your statement as to what's right and what's wrong and what's to be valued and what's not. That's the ultimate credence and credibility that is given to anything. And we say that that happens when a person goes before a court. So it's a chilul Hashem when he is nice in la'acher, when he gives his honor to somebody else, he brings the pasuk which we say, which we have much later in the Torah. Azinu he like palilim. palilim, when our avenu, when our enemies are our judges, then it appears that. It's ilu yirosam, as Chazal brings, as Rashi brings over there, you're putting up their God. So that's number one, <coughs> number one. And the second, the second is that um, 
that gezel. Uh, and he says the reason is because when a person goes after Dine Akum, when they go after the court cases of Akum, so then they take the awards that are given to them by the courts that are not Dine Yisrael. And the, those awards are not necessarily something that the person's entitled to. And he says it's the worst kind of gezel because the person gets it as something that he believes is his. He believes he has a right to it. It's worse than regular gazela, because regular gazela, a person could have pangs of conscience. Here, the law, quote-unquote, is telling him that, he, that he's supposed to have it, that he's supposed to deserve it. So there's an aspect of Chilul Hashem to turn to any source other than the Torah for guidance and for decision. And there's an aspect of Gezel, because those decisions award monies, and a person who's not entitled to those monies, according to the true halach, according to the Torah, will be walking around proudly with money gained illicitly from the person that was awarded Shalom al Torah. That's Rabbi Nubachi's rather straightforward articulation of some of that which is wrong here in, in bringing it to somebody else. Now, I, I will jump ahead now to Pasuk Vav, where it is in the middle of the Parsha of Eved Ivri. The first din in Parshas Mishpatim are halachos, the first dinim in Parshas Mishpatim are halachos that surround the Eved Ivri. Now, Rabbeinu Bachya makes one note, which is, we call him an Eved Ivri. How often do we use the name for ourselves, Ivri? Why don't we use the name Eved? Israeli. That's the Torah, right? Davril Bnei Yisrael. Right? It's, 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 the Torah uses the term Yisrael to refer to the Jewish people. The fact that here, by the Parsha Havadim, it uses the term Ivri is a very deliberate throwback. It's a very deliberate throwback. It should have said Eved Yisrael. Or Kisikne Yisrael Eved. Yisrael is the name that stuck to us after the giving of the Torah, right? The, 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 there's a Sinai. They weren't called Bnei Yisrael till Sinai. Ivrim was a name we had before the Torah was given. In Mitzrayim, the God of the Ivrim, Nikro Aleinu, let them go. The God of the Ivrim, Ivrim is before the giving of the Torah. It's our ancestry. We came from Aver. We came from Aver Hanohar. Yisrael is a name which the Jewish people have for their special status, a name which we got, as that Gomorrah says, at Harsinai, at, when we got the Torah. The Eved Ivri, What's the tragedy of the Eved Ivri? And Rabbeinu Bachi writes about this earlier a little bit more eloquently, you know, waxing a little more eloquently than others, but the same ideas as the others, which is that this person went, person who's supposed to be under HaKadosh Baruch Hu, serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, went instead to choose to be enslaved mm-hmm. to somebody else, to be enslaved to somebody else and to therefore have their, the course of their life, what they're supposed to do, dictated by another person. That's giving up on the Cherus Olam, which Kabbalah Satoru was supposed to be. He wants to remain in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. No, he's choosing an Adon other than HaKadosh Baruch Hu, especially you know, this, this one which we're talking about is a Nirta who chooses to stay there for longer. 
So in that sense, he forfeits the shame Israel, which is the name of dignity, the name of Kabbalah Satora. Just a simple subtlety. Why do we call it an Eved Ivri? So explains Rabbeinu Bachya. I would also like to mention that, um, that Rabbeinu Bachya says a couple of nice things here at the end of this Pasuk that are interesting. He says, what's the tool which is used in order to pierce the ear of the, of the Eved Ivri? Marzea. Marzea, all I think they translate it as AWL, whatever it is, it's some kind of a peg, a nail, a Marzea. What's the gematria of Marzea? What's the numerical value of the word Marzea? Mem is 40, Reish is 200, Sadi is 90, that makes 330, Ayin is 70, that makes 400. Wow. You bore him with the Marzea, which is 400. What's the idea? Because what this person is doing is he's embracing the Arba Meir Shon of Golus instead of the freedom of Geula. The freedom of Geula came after the 400 years of Golos. And this person is, is instead going to replace themselves. The first commandment of the Aseris Hadibris, Rabbeinu Bach alludes to this later, the first commandment of the Aseris Hadibris is, I took you out of Mitzrayim from the house of slaves. And the first Mishpat is about the person who puts himself back into the house of slaves. That's what's going on over here. And that's going back to the 400, to the not-so-magic number 400. Another thing that, the, that he brings, he brings it from a medrash. And again, this is one of those absentee midrashim that Rabbeinu Bachit quotes, but we don't know of another source for it. And he says, why do they do it by the door? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Ani pasachti le'pesach habayis lotzeis chafshi. I opened the door for him to be able to go free. The reason why that ceremony happens at the door is because this person, instead of walking out the door, is being nailed to the door. He's being, his, his ear is being pierced with the door. He's choosing to stay locked up in the world of Avdus instead of taking the freedom the way he was supposed to have, earned it the way he was supposed to have deserved that's what Rabbeinu Bachya says. I would just mention that, uh, you know, in that same context, the next mitzvah after the mitzvah of Avadim is Maka Ishva Meis Maisimas, a person who hits a person and he dies, so there's a death penalty for the person who, do, who did that. Writes the Rabbeinu Bachya that that's the first of the second set of commandments. The first commandment is I am Hashem Yigaru Tukiyar Mitzrayim Yibes Avodim. And the, the, the beginning of Mishpatim is about the evidence who chooses to go back into the Beis Avodim. The, second com- the sixth commandment, the first commandment, the second difference was don't kill. And here again it goes, Makesh Vameis, Maishu Master, as the punishment, whatever it is. But he sees that as being somewhat symmetric with the original appearance of the Aser Sadibres of the, of the Ten Commandments. It is worthy of note that in Pasuk Yutes, here in Perikof Aleph, which is speaking already about physical damages when somebody wounds somebody else. So the Pasuk says famously, If he heals and he goes back out, he should just give the unemployment, and heal, he shall heal. And what do we learn from there? Famous statement of Chazal, From here we see that it was given permission for the doctor to do his uh, to do his his healing. So, um, so, uh, 
what's the, what's, what are the chidushim in this Pasuk? So first of all, Rabbeinu Bachya says something really, really cool. Really cool. He says, in the Torah, whenever you find a humanly created medicine, what does it say? It says, with a pay. It's always with a dogesh. Repeinu es bavel v'loi nirpesa, rapa yirape. When it's with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what's the Pasuk? Refa'eni Hashem ve'era fei. In other words, instead of pay, we say fei. Right? So how is it that by the humans, we always say it with a pay, hard, and by the Kaddish Baruch Hu, we just say it with a fei. Okay, now there's a modern shot to that, and that is... What do you think about when you think about human medicine? Pay, right? <laughs> right? That, that, so, 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 so that's the simple shot. However, the Rabbeinu Bachya says that the idea is because pay, dogesh is kasha. He says human medicine is it's, it's a difficult thing, right? Going through a process of healing usually requires medicines that are difficult, therapies that are difficult. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings refuah, it's soft, it's gentle. It's not, it doesn't go through the difficulties that are there by, by people. So it's a beautiful thing, very, very nice, even, even better than, than, than Arpshat. The, 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 uh, the other thing that he says, uh, the last thing that he says here on this Pasuk is something which is which is uh, very controversial. It's in fact, it sources the in the Ibn Ezra, and it is something which sort of like a fundamentalist uh, m- medical doctrine, like the like the uh, the Seventh Day Adventist Lahavdil, right? Which 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 is what that the pasuk says over here, Varape Yurape. So he says that uh, the din of Rapa Yurape that humans give medicine is only here where it's an external wound. But when it's an internal illness, that comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that is to be healed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's He limits the, 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 um, the practice of medicine to external wounds. And many understand that what that means is, like the Pasuk is speaking about, if it was a humanly inflicted wound, so then there's a room for humanly Im, 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 imposed medicines. But when it's an internal thing, which comes through systems, through the Rabbani Shalom, then the healing should be left to the Rabbani Shalom. And that would imply some kind of a hands-off approach to medicine and say, we're going to leave it up to God. It came from God. If it's going to go away, it'll be taken away by God. This is not a mainstream position. But interestingly, Rabbi Nubachya says it, and again, its, its source, its original place where it is found, is within the commentary of the Ibn Ezra. How are we doing? Better? An eye for an eye. Now you've heard about that one, right? An eye for an eye. Here we have it, this is talking about a fight and wounds, and we say an eye for an eye. So what does Rabbeinu Bachya do with this Pasuk? So first of all, he, he learns the simple pshat 
and, and that is uh, something which is said. It's not original to Rabbeinu Bachia. It's a Gemara Bavakama. It's one of the Sforas which is given in Gemara. How do you know that Ayin Tachas Ayin is referring not to a physical wounding of an eye in place of an eye, but it's referring to a monetary penalty equal to the value of the eye? He says, because, okay, you go ahead. You try to give the exact same wound that that person gave to the other person. Right, so if you want to do that, the problem is that you can't control the outcomes. If a person tries to say, okay, he got his eye poked out, so this person got his eye poked out, and then they were okay, that was it. Well, they weren't okay, they, they were missing an eye, but there was nothing that went beyond it. But another, t- another person tries to replicate the same thing, who knows what the bleeding will lead to, who knows what kind of infections will develop. And it, one could end up with much more, could end up with ayin v'nefesh tachaz ayin. It's a svar which is said in the Gemara. So he says, misvari, you know, that it, uh, that it doesn't mean it literally. And then he brings from Sukim, and he says the following thing. He says, but then how do we understand the Pasuk, which says, kasher osa keni osaloi, like he did, so should be done to him. If lemaisa, you're just charging money, so in what way is it kasher osa keni osaloi? And Rabbeinu Bachya offers a very, very practical reading of the Pasuk. And he says it doesn't mean what was done, what he did will be exactly done to him. But just like he inflicted harm, harm will be inflicted upon him. It is true in the most general sense. Just like he inflicted harm, so harm will be inflicted upon him. And he brings a proof to this because when Shimshon fought against the Plishtim, he says, Kasher Asu Li Kain Asisi Lohem. Just like they did to me, so I shall do to them. Now, they stole from him his wife. He, on the other hand, went and set fire to all the crops of the Plishtim. It was a completely different thing. He didn't do what they did. But they did harm, and he did harm back. That's what it means. Now, that's a very nice reading, and a very limited reading. What's the problem with it? The problem with it is that the way the Pasuk makes it sound is, Ayin tachas ayin is the fulfillment of the way they did, so shall be done to him. And that sounds like it is equal. It doesn't sound like it's different. So there's more to say, and there's more that's present here in this kind of an idea, but for now, for now, we'll just accept what Rabbeinu Bachya says and, and recognize that as the, as the possible. You should not give life, you should not give life to a machshefa, to a witch. So Rabbeinu Bachya uses this opportunity to speak about sorcery and what its meaning is. Is sorcery something which is really effective? Or is, it sor- is sorcery something which has actually no effect at all? And he, he says like this, that there are those who understand that certainly kshafim is a power of going and taking and mixing and matching certain kaychai, certain forces which are there in the higher worlds and bringing them together to alter the pathway of creation to some degree, to change the way things go. That's why Chazal say about kshafim, that kshafim, really it's sort of like a condensation of the word makhishim pamalia, 
they deny the heavenly court. They do what the heavenly court did not decree. Says Rabbeinu Bachya, pshat number one is that Kshafim actually does the trick. It does change things. It does deny the heavenly court in the sense of bringing about things that Hashem himself was not Gozer. And that's why they are called Kshafim. Aye, what's wrong with them? So he says, look, what it does is it takes together different kochos, different forces that are out there in the upper world that weren't meant to be brought together. And he says, just like there's a prohibition of kiloyim, where you can take a seed from here and a seed from there with grape seeds and so on and so forth, and you plant them close to each other, will nothing come out of that? Of course something will come out of it. The fact that the Torah says you're not supposed to plant kiloyim doesn't mean that you can't plant kiloyim, you can, and it will produce things. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want to jumble the pathways of the species of creation, and so he instructed us not to do it. It's there, but don't do it. The first approach of Rabbeinu says is, Kishuf is there. You have the ability to manipulate, to change things, to be makish pamal to do differently, and have different outcomes than HaKadosh Baruch who was geyser by himself. Just because you can do it, it doesn't mean that you should. The Torah says that it's not something that the person should do, should be doing. That's on the one hand. Then he brings a second pshat, the opinion of Rabbeinu Hananel. Rabbeinu Hananel says, when it says that, that these kshofim are makhishim pamali shamala, they deny the act, the approach of the heavenly court, it doesn't literally mean it. It means it looks like they do. But it's not real. And he says, in fact, kshofim can do nothing that goes against what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was geyser. And he brings a famous Gemara in Chulin, where Avchanina was walking and there was a woman who was trying to cast a spell upon him, picked up the dust that he walked on and tried to do something to cast the spell on it and thereby on him. And Avchanina said, do what you wish. There's no force other than the Rabbeinu Shlalom. So what's Avchanina asserting? That there's nothing that they can do that would change the course of his life. Meaning... They're not makish pamalia shamala. They don't change what the heavenly court may have decreed. Says the Rabbeinu Bachia, that's very nice, but the Gemara over there goes and says, really, it is something to worry about. It's just Rav Hanina was such a big tzaddik that he wasn't subject to it. Shani Rav Hanina, the nafish zechusei. Says Rabbeinu Bachia, that's just an answer. Be'emes, in truth, we believe that for everybody, ein oid milvadei. So why did the Torah answer it if it doesn't do anything? If it, all it will be able to do is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was B'Geyser that would do, why would we, uh, why would we punish the Mechashef? Says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, look, he went against what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said. Hashem said, don't do it. Hashem said that he shouldn't, uh, that he shouldn't do it. So therefore, that's why we tell him that he mustn't do the action, even though the action is really in consequential in the in the fullest sense. Even if somebody doesn't have schools, uh, it still won't work? Uh, That's what Rabbeinu Bachir holds. Even if a person doesn't have special zechuyas, kshafim have no power, no ability of their own, and they will not uh, they will not count. Okay. There are many other things which are said here. I want to just go jump ahead again much further, and that's the Perakhov Gimel Pasuk Aleph, and tell you something really amazing Rabbeinu Bachia teaches here. There's a prohibition of Leisisa Shema Shav. 
So what's Lysisa shame Ashav? So he says, so so you know, in in the Torah in the Parsha we say, you're not supposed to carry a bad false reputation. So you're not supposed to accept l'shoin hara. You shouldn't listen to the words of of uh, one baldin when the other baldin when the other litigant isn't there because he'll just be casting aspersions upon the one, and you're not supposed to do that to accept that. The Rabbeinu Bachi says, I want to tell you what I think the first pshat is. And that is, don't accept a shvua from someone who it appears to you is going to be transgressing the shvua. is You shouldn't be responsible for somebody who's going to be using Hashem's name wrongly. So if you're in a court case with somebody and you don't trust somebody at all and you haven't put up for a shvua, you should think twice. You would only want to cause somebody to swear if you believe that that somebody was going to swear seriously and honestly. We think we're going to just use it as a tool, right? We'll say, here, you know, I'll have the guy make a shvua and we'll really get him. But you should only want the person to make a shvua if the person's truthful, which is sort of like almost like self-defeating. I'm going to be in a case and argue with somebody, I'll have him swear for his position, which I hold is wrong. However, on some level, maybe the way his language is, which he brings, again, a medrash that we don't have, is uh, a shvua for the future. Don't let somebody promise something that they won't be able to fulfill. There's no gotcha value that we have over here. Fascinating thing that we notice is there's a prohibition in the Torah. You shall not cook a gedi, a kid, a goat, in the milk of its mother. Where does it say it? It says it over here with regard to what? It says, you should celebrate three yamim taivim to me in the, wor- or in, the, in the year. We go through all of those yamim taivim, and then we say, you should not cook the goat in its mother's milk. It's going to be the same thing in Parshas Kisisa. Right? After the Egel, we're going to do the same thing, and it's going to say that Sholish Pamim Bashana, your Yerel calls the Hosmei Hashem Lekecha. We go on a few more Psukim. Last but not least, we'll have in Parshas Re'ei, which is also a Parsha of the Yamim Taivim. It'll go through the various, the various Yamim Taivim. And then what is it, uh, what is it going to say at the end of that? Right, at the end of that, so it says, actually, at the beginning of that, So we have this this thing associated three times with, uh, with, um, with Regalim and with Kashros. With the laws of Kashros, of course. But then, right, the next Pasuk is you go up to the Beis HaMikdash. So why do we always have this kind of an association that the Torah is presenting? And he says as follows, an amazing thing, very, very interesting thing. 
This is Ravenu Bach. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you where it is. It's Pasuk Yotes in Perak of Gimel. It's in the middle of a very long piece. And he says as follows. Why does the prohibition of Basar B'cholov get mentioned three times in the Torah? And three out of three times it is said, relating to, neighboring upon the parsha of the Yamim Taivim. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Yamim Taivim. Says Rabbeinu Bachia, he says, I already explained to you, and he explained earlier in the piece, that the problem with eating the non-kosher foods and with the basar b'cholov is that it's metamte meshalev. You are what you eat. And the things which are kosher, you eat them, and they're supposed to help you develop in every good way. But the non-kosher things that the Torah limits, those are things which are metamte mesalev. They block the heart. They block the heart from Kedusha. They block the heart from holiness and purity. Says Rabbeinu Bachia, when you're going to Yerushalayim for Yom Tov, what are you going for? Don't you want to have an open heart when you go to the Beis HaMiglash? You know, I'll just bring you one illustration, one example that's quite familiar. The Gemara says that there was a festival on Sukkot. What was it called? Simchas Beis Hashayeva. What's Simchas Beis Hashayeva? The Gemara says that Misham Shayav in Ruach HaKadosh. That was where the divine inspiration came to people from, from the Simchas Beis Hashayeva. The Migdash was the source of connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When the Torah tells you you're supposed to go to Yerushalayim, go, to, go there for Yantav, plug yourself into Kedusha. In the same context, it says, don't have the non-kosher things to make yourself go to a place of Kedusha where you haven't opened yourself up for Kedusha is sort of counterproductive. The, 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 the priming of the heart for mili diktushu tara, for matters of holiness and purity, is that which this parsha of kashrus has to worry about? Is that which it has to has to maintain, and that's the that's why it constantly says it here at the at the at, at that same place. In Perak Chav Gimel Pasuk Chav, we're already getting back into the storyline briefly, right? You know that we've been telling stories from the beginning, from Simchas Taira Brachus. We've been telling stories. Even Matan Torah is told in the context of the story. But then this week's part of Eilam and we move it into a new mode, a mode which we become now familiar with for much of the Torah, which is not so much a story, but laws. Uh, an ox gores, an evid is bought, laws. But towards the end of Parshish Mishpatim, after we've been given over many of these laws, HaKadosh Baruch Hu communicates, he says, Behold, I'm sending my Malach before you, etc., to guard you and to take you along the way. Did that really happen? So there's a big discussion about what this means, as Rashi understands, that it was something which HaKadosh Baruch Hu was saying that he was going to do, but in the end, he, uh, he got, uh, you know, there was a push, and, um, you know, it, 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 it came back, it didn't happen. Right? The Rashi learns, eventually a Malach will take over. That's what it's referring to. Did it, did it not happen? Because Moshe Rabbeinu prayed, like we find by the Egil, perhaps, perhaps that's why it didn't, uh, 
it didn't happen. But but Rabbeinu Bachi has a lengthy discussion here, and he refers to something. And this, by the way, was a was a was a favorite thing and a matter of discussion for our dear friend Daryl Zassel. We had a nice a nice discussion about this. And he says that really Hakadosh Baruch Hu says from here on I'm t- I'm going to send a malach before you to guide you. But Moshe Rabbeinu, one of two things, either Moshe Rabbeinu was the malach, or the prayers of Moshe Rabbeinu were enough to, to get Hakadosh Baruch Hu to come back and to lead us himself. But what happens in Perak Aleph of Sefer Yeshua, Perak Beis of Sefer Yeshua? Yeshua now is leading the Jewish people on to Eretz Yisrael to the next battle. What happens? A malach comes and says, Ani Hashem. He sees a person, what appears like a person with a sword unsheathed. Who are you? Are you with us or against us? Right? Took a, a, a line straight out of George Bush. Right? And it says, And what happens? He says, Ani Hashem. I'm the ministering angel of Hashem. I have now come. So the Gemara speaks, Atabasi, I'm, I'm here to confront you about Bittul Torah, about not bringing korbanas. Right? Says Rabbeinu Bachi, essentially, I'm the angel who's now leading you. Moshe Rabbeinu. I said, Hashem said at the beginning, a malach's going to lead you, either eventually or now, but then Moshe Rabbeinu got it to step back, that Hashem would lead. But now, Yeshua, new day. I'm the Sartzva Hashem, I'm here now. From here on in, I'm the leader. I'm going to take you further into Eretz Yisrael. Do we see in Sefer Yoshua the any any further reference to this Malach after that battle? No. So he shows up, and then, as far as the narrative is concerned, mm-hmm. that fades into the background. Right. Yeah. Okay. The um, we have we have a few more minutes. So I want to mention to you the uh, the there are some many many interesting things. If you have a chance, you can look at Rabbeinu Bachia, something which he says on Pasuk Hey in Perakot Dalad, about uh, uh, you can learn that if you wish. But in Perakot Dalad Pasuk Ches, Rabbeinu Bachia says something, and he'll say something different as we will see in Pasuk Yud. And it's really a fascinating, fascinating combination of interpretation. You see, this is what the debate is about. The Pasuk speaks about the Adi, the ornament, the decoration that the Jewish people had with them from Harsinai. It doesn't say that expression when you put it on. But in Parshas Kisisa, when the Jewish people sinned at the Egel and HaKadosh Baruch Hu chastised us, so then it says that the Jewish people removed Edyom, their decoration, their ornaments from Harsinai. Nobody left their Adi upon them. So the question is, what is this Adi? What is this decoration that came from Harsinai? You know, in Chazal, they speak about these crowns that the Malachim put on them, an invisible Adi, and they were all taken off of them, right? That could be what it means, but that's very mystical. And the Pasuk speaks in a way it should be understood. So Rabbeinu Bachya here in Perak Chavdal at Pasuk has brings a pirush from Rabbeinu Chananel. Rabbeinu Bachya several times brings pirushim from Rabbeinu Chananel on the Torah. 
And I don't know if we have others. I, I, in the Taras Chaim Chumash, they sometimes print the Purish Rabbeinu Hananel. It's all the stuff which is found in Rabbeinu Bachya in his name, as far as I know. So what does it say? What does he say? He says, you know what the decoration was from Harsinai? It's what's described in Perak Chavdalat Pasuk Ches, where Moshe Rabbeinu took the blood of the Korbanas that were offered by the Nari Israel. Israel. He split it up. Half of it he sprinkled on the Mizbeach. The other half, what did he do? He sprinkled on the people. And the people, therefore, had bloodstains on their garment. But it wasn't bloodstains that they wanted to get off. It was the most beautiful decoration. It was the bloodstains of, of the bris, of the covenant between Kal Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That, which was sprinkled on the people here, this became Edyam. Right? These, these are, you know, you know the, the person who proudly wears his scar from the battle. The person who proudly wears the dam of the bris. That was what Kal Yisrael had to take off when they were Chote and the Cher HaEgel and they violated the bris. That's what he says on the one hand here in the name of Rabbi Nochanan. Very magnificent that the blood which was sprinkled upon them, which was the sign of the, of the bris, that was their greatest decoration that they had with them from our scene. But Rabbi Nochanan goes on and adds something else. And that is that in Posuk Yud, it speaks about Moshe, Aaron, the Nareb Yisrael going up and they saw the God of Israel. They saw that God and they ate and they drank. And there's so many different shatim and what that means. Is there a rebuke here? What's going on? Writes Rabbeinu Bachya. Writes Rabbeinu Bachya. The the um. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Wrong piece. Uh, this is not in Pasukut. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. It's in Pasukut Aleph. That's why I was having a hard time. It says that the 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 Mosein Hanefesh Viiduna Baisa Hamara. When it says they saw God and they ate and they, and they drank, what this is referring to is a spiritual sustenance. As the Targum says on that Pasuk, it was bringing joy and satisfaction to them as if they ate and as if they drank. Writes Rabbeinu Bachya that it was that relishing of being in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that attached the Jewish people to something special and that was Ed Yomei That was the ornament which was upon them from Har Chayrev, from Har Sinai. When it says by the eagle that they removed from themselves the Adi of Matan Torah, it's that they removed from themselves the Chayd HaOtzum the incredible glory that would come from being able to be attached to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now that they sin in the eagle, they had to step back from that attachment with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Asks Rabbeinu Bachya, so you talk about removal of the ornament. Where did you talk about the placement of the ornament? Where was it put on that now we would be discussing taking it off? Writes Rabbeinu Bachya, the storyline itself of HaKadosh Baruch Hu coming down in front of all the Jewish people, we know that the Jewish people are going to be uplifted. We know that they're going to be transformed by that. 
the Posik doesn't have to describe, and they had a crown upon them. It was there. Memela by itself, it was there. It's only described when they step back from it that they remove themselves. So Rabbeinu Bachi here has two pshatim in what the ornament is that the Jewish people had upon them from Harsinai. One pshat is the actual physical sign of the covenant, the Dam Habris. And the other pshat is the ornament was the uplifting of the soul, which showed itself in the entire demeanor of Klal Yisrael. From being able to visualize HaKadosh Baruch Hu, wow, what came of them? And that was what they had to remove from themselves when they get to the Masa HaEgel, which is a backtrack on the relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Maybe we be to retrace our steps back to our seat. Yeah,